Why, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 23rd edition of Bantering the Blue Shirts, a New York Rangers podcast that happens every week that goes directly from our mouths into your ears. Um, that was weirder than I thought it was going to be, to be completely honest with you, as I thought that through. But now that it's out there, I kind of like it. Uh, my name is Joe Fortunato. I am joined by my co-host, Beth Macklin, and hockey stat miner, otherwise known as Mika who is filling in for Michael Murphy. Ladies, gentlemen, how are we doing today? Nah. We are great, guys. We are great. <laughs> um, everybody's exhausted because we were watching the election last night. So if you are not listening live, we, uh, we forgive you. If you want to download us and listen to us on the train or your commute to work, we appreciate that too. All listens matter to us, every single one of them. Uh, I guess we may as well just sort of dig in. There's a lot to talk about. A lot of things happened that we want to cover. Some of them happened internally with the Rangers, the Dylan McElrath trade last uh, night, Um, the Rangers losing to the Vancouver Canucks, which was not fun. We can also talk about Jacob Truba resigning in Winnipeg, what that might mean. There's a bunch of stuff on the table. I guess the first thing that we'll start with is the Rangers – I don't think struggle is a good way to put it, but maybe current landscape might be the best way to put it. Um, They didn't play all that great against Winnipeg. They found a way to win that game. They didn't play all that great against Edmonton. They found a way to win that game. They didn't play all that great against Vancouver. They found a way to lose that game. Uh, I know neither of you saw the game against Vancouver, so I won't ask you for specific. I will not ask you for specifics about last night, but have we sort of seen the Rangers maybe come back down to earth a little bit the past few games, or is it just a couple of blips in the radar and it is what it is? Beth, we can begin with you. Um, yeah, I was at the Jets game, and it was really sort of alternating between, oh, God, you know, things are definitely slowing down. But the goals that there were, I mean, that that – Buchnevich goals, the Nash goal, just the goals themselves were so beautiful, a lot of them, that I think it, uh, not to mention this whole thing now of being at a game and having to get up and do the cheer like five or six times. I mean, that's tiring. That's really taxing after a while. It wears on you. Um, (laughs) But um, anyway, so point being, yeah, it definitely wasn't the end-to-end dominance that we'd been seeing a little earlier, but you know, when you're scoring that many goals and they look like that, it's it's easy to get distracted. Um, so I would say that I was still in distraction mode, probably, at that point. Um, especially being so excited for Busnevich and stuff. Uh, VZ, I remember, had one turnover, I think it was, that my response was, oh my God, we're never going to see him again. Um, that was that bad and that visible. But and so I guess we we probably are going to talk about him not quite playing in third periods anymore, maybe. Um, but yeah, we do seem to see the ship coming back down to earth. I think um, still some great goals. Still, as Joe, you predicted, uh, some players going up in production while other players even off. Um, but yeah, things things are looking a little messier. They're not looking quite as fast and clean cut as I think they were a couple games ago. Mika? Uh, well, we talked about it last week, right? We said, you know, this is probably going to come down a little bit because uh, 
they were just running so hot in in so many categories. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if they're still number one in five-on-five shooting percentage, but they were before the game. Um, I mean, they're top ten in, like, just all these categories. And it's a nice thought to say, you know, hey, maybe this team just established itself and is top ten when it comes to offense, when it comes to producing, when it comes to scoring. Um, but if if not, which is most likely the possibility, uh, you're going to see a little, little cool-off. And I think I think we're seeing a little, you know, uh, they were running hot, and I think they're they're slowly coming a little bit more down to earth. It's, it hasn't been terrible, but that's my guess. It's always going to look a little bit worse just because the Rangers were flying so high. And even in the games where the Rangers weren't particularly dominant, and you're really talking about the Edmonton game, Boston, Winnipeg, and Vancouver, outside of Vancouver, the Rangers were still winning these games by pretty large margins. Um, according to Corsica, the Rangers are pretty much middle of the pack in, in terms of Corsi percentage at just over 49%. I think the team, the league leader looks like it's LA at 56%. And I think a few people have pointed out the Rangers lack of possession numbers overall is something that sort of signals what we saw last year, which was this unsustainable play that, that very simply wasn't going to keep happening. And my disagreement with that is again, something we've talked about when you're up by five goals in the third period, you have no reason to exert yourself and to take shots and to go crazy. And I think the Rangers third period Corsi, I think five games of, of the 14, they're in positive territory and that makes a lot of sense when you're winning a game 5 nothing or 5-2 or 5-3 that you're just going to park the bus. So when you take a look at the Rangers' body of work to this point, they're cooling off a little bit. It, uh, one of the things we talked about last week was the Rangers haven't had too many gut-check games, games where the offense isn't blowing other teams out of the water early, where the defense is not, uh, isn't doing their <laughs> job, they're being exposed when the goaltenders aren't bailing them out, and Edmonton was a perfect example. The Rangers went down by a goal three times, and three times they clawed their way back into the game and then ended up winning easily. This offense is capable of doing that. The question becomes how sustainable that is, and when you haven't seen that over the course of 14 regular season games, you could be a little nervous about the longevity of something like that. But we saw it in Edmonton. Vancouver was a very similar game, except the Rangers never got out of their own way. And this defense continues to have issues moving the puck up the ice. Vancouver was the first team that I've seen to this point outside of Edmonton, but Edmonton kind of stopped midway through to clog up the neutral zone with a purpose. They're not letting the Rangers offense break through with, with transition. And we saw a lot of what we were used to seeing last year, which was the Rangers coming into the zone, trying to break in, getting broken up. Back into the zone, trying to break in, getting broken up. When this Rangers offense is working the way that it's supposed to, the Rangers have gunners that are going through the neutral zone with possession, or they're getting the puck through the neutral zone from the defense. And Ryan McDonough and Adam Clendenning are the only two players who have been capable of doing that. And Adam Clendenning has sat on the bench. Or, well, I should say the press box. The one game that he did play, I thought he played really well, and he was immediately pulled again to put Girardi back in, who was resting because Vigneault finally figured out that he needs to give him some rest. But one way or another, we're not out of the woods here, and a lot of people who believe that this Rangers team was going to fly this high forever is sort of getting a wake-up call to this point. 
And one of the reasons why we might be seeing a little bit of a struggle, we talked about this just a touch before the show started, is that dominant on fire can't stop this Chris Kreider has not been the same guy. Beth, do we have any idea why that might be? I don't know. I mean, he lost momentum. Um, I think we were excited not only that he actually finally seemed to be doing all the things he could do in every game at the same time, um, but actually producing, too. There was just a consistency from him um, before he got injured that we had not seen. And um, I remember his first game back, um, seeing him put two shots back in the old place. He always used to put two sh- his shots, which is, you know, the goalie down on the right side of the goal, hitting him right in the stomach. Um, that's what I thought of as a Kreider shot last year. Either that or just missing so completely that, you know, it didn't even matter. But, yeah, the beautiful breakout, the speed, and don't even get excited, you know, because it's going right at the goalie. Nothing's going to happen. And and it looked like he'd solved that problem for the first few games and in preseason this year. And then first game back, I saw that, and I thought, okay, I'm not going to get negative yet. And here we are. Um, you know, that that fire seems to be gone. So, I mean, who even knows what's up with him at this point? Um, maybe just a really mental player. Maybe just thinks to, you know, gets in his own way too much. But it, you know, if we thought this, if we thought that was going to last all year, obviously we already know we were wrong. So. Mika? Um, well, one nice thing is that you you still kind of have the uh, untapped Zabinajad Bucknavich Kreider line because uh, they played two games. We all loved it, and then uh, was it was it, was it or Kreider who got hurt first, and, it, and the line broke up. Kreider got hurt first. That, that was Kreider. No, yeah, actually, yeah. no. Buchnevich, did Buchnevich? I think Buchnevich got hurt first, and then Kreider had Whichever next one, season. Yeah. They were both out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whichever one missed the third game. And then we were like, oh, we like that line. But then <laughs> but then Kreider goes and he plays with uh, Zuccarello and Nash. And so it's like, okay, well. And then, you know, they score the goals and they keep winning, so no, no one really complains. So it's kind of like, uh, and you said earlier, like Buk- uh, Buch- is, uh he's graduating off the fourth line. He's scored a goal in three straight games. Um, so it's nice timing that to kind of have like, okay, well, you can at least go back to that and see what's up. Um, it, again, it's uh, – it's, it's a nice problem to have when you have a, a deep forward uh, unit. The Rangers are, are in an interesting predicament, and it, it feels very similar to last year's relationship with the media in that, oh, the team is winning. There's really no reason to question anything. Chris Kreider has not been Chris Kreider since he came back from his injury. Okay. Everybody can agree with that. There, there's really no arguing that. But Chris Kreider has also not played on that line that was so explosive since his injury. It looks like Vigneault is going to reunite the three of them, the Zibanejad, Kreider, Buchnevich line, for Saturday's tilt against Calgary. To be completely fair to Vigneault, the third line of, of Hayes, Miller, and Grabner was so good that I understand why he might have wanted to avoid kind of breaking them up, and he doesn't want to put Zuccarello on the fourth line, he doesn't want to put VC on the fourth line, but we need to get over this ideology that there are four lines on this New York Rangers team as you would think of a traditional hockey 
group. There is no yeah. real fourth line. The Rangers don't have a fourth line. Piri, Fast, Buchnevich was the Rangers' fourth line, and it was not used like a regular fourth line. Zibanejad has struggled. He scored a goal in garbage time against Edmonton. The hope is that maybe that'll get him off the snide a little bit. Kreider has struggled. Buchnevich has turned into a monster that uh, I think we all knew was lurking down there. He just needed to expose himself. And I said it, when he gets his first goal, they're going to come in bunches, and he's got seven points in nine games. VC's goal scoring has kind of tapered off a little bit because he was never going to shoot at 31% and because Beth thinks he's a bust. And when that <laughs> happened, you knew Buchnevich was not going to shoot at 0% for his career. But you're starting to get a little bit of a taste of what he could do. The goal he scored against Winnipeg was jaw-dropping. So beautiful. Uh, jaw-dropping. I mean, you, you had to blink and watch replays to make sure that you saw what you saw. And the pass he made to Nash for Nash's 400th career goal, and we're going to get to him in a minute, against uh, Vancouver, jaw-dropping. Buchnevich took the puck on the power play and literally waited until every single Vancouver forward was focused on him, and then he threaded a perfect pass to Nash for an easy finish. Those are not plays you expect to get out of your rookie players. And before the year, I'd wager if you would have said – Sign on the dotted line right now, and you will get 30 points uh, out of each of Buchnevich and VC. Everybody would have signed the dotted line without even thinking about it. It looks like both of them may get a little bit closer to 40 points. Imagine getting 60 points out of the two of them combined, 70 points out of the two of them combined. Now these look like obtainable things, and it makes an enormous difference for the way that the Rangers are playing their offense. And one of the keys to this run has been when one part of the ship isn't exactly flying high, the other part of the ship holds them up. There are games where Nash is dominant. There are games where Zuccarello is dominant. There are games where Ryan McDonough is dominant. There are games where Buchnevich is dominant, where VC has been dominant. The Rangers have a plethora of options to take care of business for them, and they've been doing it to this point. But the more teams figure out how to shut down those transition lanes, the Rangers have lived and died on those quick those quick trigger, fast break offensive shots. The Rangers are shooting at the highest shooting percentage of anyone in the NHL. It looks unsustainable on paper, but with the way that they score their goals, it's really not unsustainable. It's, it's not. It's very sustainable when you have odd man rushes. But if you can't get the odd man rushes, those goals are going to dry up. And that's what we saw in Vancouver. And it's one game, granted, but it's kind of lurked around a little bit. Against Edmonton, the Rangers got saved by their power play. Against Boston, the Rangers got saved by their power play. Against Winnipeg, the Rangers were saved by their power play. There are going to be times when that doesn't happen, especially when you don't have a real power play quarterback back there. Clendenning's not getting into the lineup anytime soon, so it is what it is. Beth, I'm going to give you the floor to gush about Rick Nash, who has been just an animal probably one of the Rangers' most consistent forwards, scored his 400th NHL goal, which is a hell of an accomplishment. Rick, if you're listening, congratulations, but my guess is you're not. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, just an appreciation I mean, of what he is. What's not to like? Um, he's doing everything. He's doing every single thing that he's supposed to be doing, gets paid to do, that we've ever lamented he wasn't doing for however brief a period. It's all together now, and it doesn't even seem to really matter which, you know, exactly who he's playing with. Passing's incredible. Um, Back-checking's incredible. The goals are great. 
Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, I just keep thinking back to how humble he was at the beginning of this season. You know, I mean, I think in his first, you know, one of his first interviews, he says, I have to make this team like everybody else. I think a lot of us weren't sure he was actually going to be a Ranger this year, last spring. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to just, you know, not only have him back, but to have a play- How old is he? 32, 33? How old is he? Yeah. 32. A player at 32, you know, getting his game together like this. And again, I'm not one of those people who thinks he ever, you know, had a useless year or anything, but to, to just see everything clicking like this at a player at that point in his career, you know, he's got the A now. He just really, you know, seems to have come into his own. Um, and to be working so well with these guys who are, you know, 10 or more years younger than he is, it's, it's just been a, it's been a lot of fun to watch. And that does seem to be consistent, unlike some other people who we already named. Anyway. Moving on. Yes. Mika? Um. Well, the thing I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but the really nice thing about Nash is uh, even if he, even if his offense just isn't producing, which isn't isn't the problem so far, but he, let's just say that is, um, he's still doing other things. He's top four among forwards in penalty kill time. He's top, I think he's fourth or fifth in forward power play time. Um, he's if he's struggling in one end of the ice, he's probably going to be making up for it at the other end. And it, it, he, it's such a, it's almost like a, a low, a low risk. Uh, it's a nice low risk player to have uh, because it's, it's just so, he's so well-rounded and defensively uh, he's just as responsible as he is off as he is talented offensively. It's just a great package and uh, it's good to see him doing well. It's good to see him doing well just to shut up the crap people, to be completely honest with you. I was sick and tired of the argument that Rick Nash needed to be worth his contract and that Rick Nash wasn't worth his contract and that Rick Nash was a waste of space and needed to be traded for a bag of pucks. I I honestly think this is Nash's last year in New York. He's signed for another year, but the Rangers are probably going to have to expose him in the expansion draft and he may be a name worth taking, especially on a one-year deal, and there's not a ton of risk there for a Las Vegas expansion team. But when you really sit down and look at what the Rangers have accomplished this year, it's very difficult not to look at Nash as one of the leaders. Mika said it. Beth has said it. I've said it. The man earns his contract even when he's not scoring goals, and there are not many players in the league who have that type of an impact. There's not many players in this league who are three-zone monsters the way that Nash is. And when Nash's career ends in New York, be it this summer or next summer or whenever, he's going to be a very difficult player to fill the shoes for. He really is. He's quiet. He doesn't talk. You never hear about a scandal. He does his job. He comes back to the bench. He never complains. You don't get a ton of players like that. He kills penalties. He's on the power play. I don't think we've seen an offensive force in New York since Yarmir Yager when it comes to Rick Nash. But He's been snake-bitten. He hasn't had the best of years, and, and people get on him because he's an easy target. When you're complaining about the salary cap, it's hard not to look at Nash's 7.8 as a sore, sore thumb because outside of Lundqvist, he's the guy making the most money. Granted, crab people cover their eyes when they look at Gerard and Stahl's contract, but 
I understand where some of it's coming from. It has not been the case this year, and it's a big reason why the Rangers are doing so well. Same goes for Miller. Same goes for Hayes. These guys who are just coming out of nowhere with these enormous steps forward. Same goes for Buchnevich and VC, who have taken steps forward that I don't think we expected. The Rangers have a ton of players hovering around 60 to 70 points a game. It's unbelievable. I can't remember the last time. Last year, the Rangers might have finished with two players who were scoring a goal or notching a point six out of every ten games. To have players who point per game be upwards of 9.93, like Hayes and Miller, Criders at a point per game, you just, you're not used to seeing that type of stuff. And the Rangers' offense has certainly got the job done. The defense hasn't, but so be it. To this point, I think I said in my McElrath story today, the Rangers' offense has been able to suppress the, the beast within that is the defense. And we don't know how long that's going to last. And if Clemson sits on the bench, I don't think it's going to be too long before they get exposed, but that might just be me. Uh, we have to give him a very quick goodbye. Dylan McElrath was traded to the Florida Panthers for pretty much pretend he got claimed on waivers because that's what they got back. They got back Stephen Camper, who was a Ranger a couple of years ago, and a conditional seventh-round pick. And I think the condition is if McElrath plays 30 games for the Panthers. So the Rangers got an AHL player and a seventh-round pick at best for McElrath. My story today wasn't so much about McElrath's ability to make a difference for the Rangers, although I think you could argue that, but it's bad asset management. We've kind of talked about that ad nauseum, but I do want to give Beth just a final goodbye opportunity since he was her large adult son, and and now he's moved on to Florida. (laughs) Um, Well, what was it? Someone someone made a great comment on your article, which – you know, I like the world a lot better when McElrath was a ranger, um, which obviously has significance beyond this particular trade. Um, I mean, in a way, I think, you know, we were prepared for it over what would like to have seen. I think it would have been hard to play him enough to just get a better return for him. So, yeah, basically all the points you made in the article and – you know, really hoping that this defense is, you know, not going to sink this absolutely incredible sort of unprecedented offense. Um, and that's not me saying McElrath would have changed, but that's not what I'm saying. Um, what I'm saying is we just have such a big question mark there and no real sense of what the plan is. We've We've all been, you know, I know you wanted to talk about Truba. You know, we've all been talking about what the what the plan is here, what the plan is here, what the plan is here, how long can they um, just basically not ruin things enough to lose games. I don't know how – okay, never mind. Um, anyway, my point, my point being, you know what, we're going to move on from this. I'm not going to spend a lot of more emotional energy on it. Um, I am just going to start hoping some better choices get made on the blue line from this point forward. So that's it for that for me. Uh, Mika, I'm not sure if you want to add anything to this, this tire fire. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a minor deal. It's just a bit of a head scratcher. It was kind of abrupt. They could have, they could have left McElrath uh, in the minors indefinitely. It was just, it was, uh, it was an odd, odd ending to the uh, McElrath saga, but good luck to him. <laughs> yeah, good luck to him. Uh, we've spent too much time talking about McElrath, to be completely honest with you, and 
I think McElrath has, and this was similar to the past couple of years with Girardi and Glass, it's not about the player so much as what the player represents. And the Rangers' mismanagement of assets are not isolated incidents. It's something that's happened a lot. And there, there are question marks surrounding whether or not Gordon is capable of evaluating the defense properly. So this sort of makes an easy transition for Jacob Truba, re-signed in Winnipeg on a two-year deal worth, I think, $3 million on average. The common eye, I guess, would tell you that, okay, this is over now, but that's really not the case because the reality is Kyle Turris, who shares an agent with Truba, did the exact same thing in Arizona a couple of years ago signing a bridge deal for well under market value, and he ended up getting moved less than a month later. Uh, Nick, I'll let you start off on this one. Do you see any path of, of Truba staying in Winnipeg, or are we just looking at a situation where maybe we're all overblowing this and nothing's going to actually come from this? Um, well, he said he rescinded and all that because, you know, he signed the contract. Uh, you know, Look, look at Hamannick, look at Drouin. Um, players ask to be traded, and then they rescind, and then everyone forgets about it. Uh, so it might have been more posturing for a contract when he talked about I, – I don't even know his exact words. I just know the gist of what he said. He said that you know he wants to get top pair minutes somewhere, and he can't get that with Bufflin. Um, so if that's really how he feels, um, I would imagine him and his agent are going to work on something. But it could also have just been posturing, you know. Those negotiations can be pretty brutal. Um, but I I could see him staying there for sure. I mean, Winnipeg doesn't have to deal with it again until two years. And, you know, they they got a pretty good deal on it anyway, anyway you slice it. So, any rescinded. So, I, it's almost the burden of proof is on how does he leave Winnipeg now versus, you know, does he really stay? I, I think it's kind of flipped. That last point was the most interesting one, though, because Winnipeg had a, a longer deal out there for double the salary that, that he turned down. Yeah, and yeah. You'd, you'd have to think that if he really was having a come-to-Jesus moment and he knew that sitting out wasn't going to favor him and he didn't think Winnipeg was actually going to trade him, why are you signing for two years below market value like that? You, you'd think... Winnipeg wants him back enough that he could sign a one-year deal or at least a two-year deal for maybe $5 million a year or, or something in that range. So that, to me, is a little fishy. Uh, him rescinding the trade demand really doesn't mean anything to me. Everybody's going to say the right thing, just like Chevy, yeah, who's yeah. the general manager, saying, oh, you know, we're welcoming him back with open arms, he's a jet, whatever. You have to say those things because if other teams know that he's still looking for a trade, the value is going to be totally you're going to lose leverage but what i will say is winnipeg controls the cards again because they do have him signed for the next two years at a great contract and everything that they want for him they may be able to get now where they couldn't when he was actually uh, an unrestricted free or a restricted free agent who had yet to be signed so it definitely opens up a path for him to be moved i'm just not totally sure i see it the rangers have kind of quieted down on that front they scouted anaheim a few weeks ago there were some talks that they were very interested in Truba. It's very clear that the, the Rangers are sharks in the water in terms of circling blood when they think they smell it. But, again, you really haven't heard anything. And if it's not Truba, Mika, do you see anything the Rangers are probably looking at doing anytime soon? Or are we going to wait, wait for the trade deadline, more likely than not? Um, you know, I, I, I would imagine they're going to wait just to kind of accrue cap space. Um, 
the lo- you know the longer they wait and the longer they're, they're where they're at, uh, the more cap space they get. So I think you know I, I think they're going to err on the side of patience, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know these deals get done closer to the trade deadline, for sure. Um, but one thing about Winnipeg is uh, you know the expansion coming up. Um, you know you can only pr- they're one of those teams where you can only protect three defensemen, so you kind of start looking at it. Um, they got Bufflin and Enstrom and Myers and Truba. I mean, you know, that's four right there. Uh, Buffalo and Nistrom have no moves, so they have to be protected. So it, it kind of, I think there's there's whole bu- there's this whole going to be this whole bubble market of, you know, okay, what teams, what teams are going to be a little messed up with expansion uh, when it comes to defense, you know, and those teams are going to naturally want to move it, uh, get 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 something rather than nothing. Uh, which is also why, you know, I don't think the Rangers are going to expose Rick Nash. I think if that's what they're going to do, they might as well do a trade and get something for him because that's a, that's a heck of a free asset to give out. But uh, the expansion is really going to play a, a role, and I, th- I really think you're going to see some some funky moves uh, later on next year. One of the things that might make you think that the Rangers don't have to do anything on defense has been Ryan McDonough just – turning back into that two years ago monster that we all fell in love with and Brady Shea, who has taken (laughs) a really, really big step forward, both on both ends of the ice. I mean, he's putting up numbers that I don't think any of us even remotely anticipated myself included. He has nine assists in 14 games. Honestly, who who would have thought that if you would have told me he was going to have 25 points this year, I would have signed the dotted line right away. And, again, we're 14 games into the season, so who knows where he's going to go from there. But he's shown an ability to find soft spots on the ice and to make things happen. He's getting power play time that isn't being given to Adam Clendenning when he's not playing. And he's really he's shown some unbelievable poise for a 22-year-old rookie. Beth, I know you have a million thoughts on this, so I will <laughs> allow you to uh, release them to the wild. No, I mean, I was at what your point about about uh, space was really what I was thinking too. Um, what I think is so great about Shea is that he doesn't seem, which is a little strange in this organization, but let's just think of it in terms of the positives for right now. Um, he doesn't seem to be afraid to be trying stuff out. He's taking risks. Um, I just love it when he comes charging down with the puck like Yandel used to. Um, it's just it's so great to watch and he seems to really feel just increasingly comfortable. He's got his head up and he's making great choices. Um, He seems to feel secure in trying stuff out. Definitely. Um, And, but yeah, the, I mean, the assist, he is racking up the points. There've been a couple of stumbles here and there. Um, but you know, we we gave we gave a lot of time to him being no Keith Yandel, and while he is not Keith Yandel, I I think he's made more strides in that direction more quickly than we anticipated, and it's been a lot of fun to watch him do that. Um, he has, I think, more potential than we originally gave him credit for. Okay. Um. Yeah, he's. Played with Klein now for I guess the last six games. He's primarily played with Klein at even strength. Um, no, he's he's really uh, <laughs> it's almost with with rookie defensemen generally. 
is like when you don't notice them, that's how you know they're doing well. <laughs> because if you if you notice them, then they're messing up. Um, <clears throat> so, it, I mean, he's getting assists. So it's, I'm not saying he's not doing nothing, but uh, I guess what was the story? Like he had a he had a really bad flu during training camp, and that's why he had a bad training camp. And it's like, all right, all right, that's that's when everyone lost 15 pounds and this and that. But he really does seem on his way, and you know that could very well just be what happened, and he just kind of came in under the radar in training camp because um, he was sick or whatever. But he, he's, he's looking real natural um, playing with Klein. That was a story that totally got passed over. I, I have no idea how that was not a bigger deal, that during Shea's struggles, nobody brought up the fact that he had a flu when he lost like 20 pounds which apparently was a theme because Kevin Hayes lost 20 pounds. I'm not sure if you guys knew that. And no one really talked about it, but it, it was I, – look, I, and I agree with you, Mika. When you hear something like that, you roll your eyes, okay? It's an excuse, whatever. But obviously something is different because Shea is playing really well. He, he's, yeah. he's turned into – again, this is not someone who you'd expect to become Keith Yandel. I'm not going to say that anymore because he's making me look like an idiot. <laughs> Keith Yandel's a 50-point defenseman. Those guys are incredibly rare. One of the things that Shea has always been able to do through his career is jump up and join the rush and, and make things happen in transition because he's an unbelievable skater. He's been able to do that in New York, and, and it's something that the Rangers have desperately needed. If you guys haven't noticed, the Rangers are playing a lot more to getting into the zone with possession rather than the dump, chase, and get it that they've done in the past. And Shea is one of those players who can get into the zone with possession. And he has been one of the players who is getting into the zone with possession. What I don't think we've been ready to see is when Shea has the puck at the blue line and he kind of waits out the defense and makes a picture-perfect pass. Or he's hitting guys for wide-open nets. When Shea has a primary assist this year, for the most part, the goal is incredibly easy. Uh, One of the standouts was the goal that Grabner scored in his hat-trick game. I think the second goal where Shea threw it across the ice and Grabner had a wide-open net. You're not getting that from your run-of-the-mill rookie defenseman. Shea was the crown jewel of the Rangers' defensive farm system, and it was one of those things where maybe he was a little undervalued because the Rangers had no real defensive prospects. When you have nothing, to be the best of nothing really isn't all that great. <laughs> In the land of the blinds, the guy with one eye is king. That's sort of what it is. Now you look at a Rangers farm system that's a little bit more stocked. You have some younger players in the NHL right now. And let's be completely fair, too. Shea never put everything together. He wasn't an offensive force in Michigan. He was not an offensive force down in Hartford. But neither was Ryan McDonough. Ryan McDonough had much better college numbers, but his AHL numbers were pretty much on par with what Shea did last year. So it's not inconceivable to see Shea keep this up. The Rangers forwards have, have made a big difference in him putting up points too because you have to finish in order for you to get an assist. But Shea has been a, a really bright spot. Him and McDonough have added a ton of offense that I don't think people were totally expected about. And I would say at the beginning of the year, there are people who are willing to trade Miller. There are people who are willing to trade Miller and Shea. There are people who are willing to trade Miller and Shea in a first-round draft pick for Jacob Truba. And now I don't think you have anyone who's willing to do any of that. I've totally backed off my Miller hypothetical trades. Uh, just, they're both really hard players to find. And Miller has been an animal. He leads the Rangers in, in points, <laughs> tied with Kevin Hayes. There's so much good up and down this lineup, and there's so much youth. 
I don't know if the ring should need to do anything. I don't know if I would do anything. Nikki, you brought up a good point. It might make sense just to wait and see because those bubble teams, maybe you can move Nash for a top four defenseman because both teams want to make sure that they're not losing assets for nothing to Las Vegas. You don't know. And let's be fair, the Rangers are probably losing Michael Grabner to Vegas, if anybody, because they're not going to be able to protect him, and he's been a monster. I mean, he really has been. But up and down this lineup, the Rangers have done a lot of good, good, good things. And since we kind of talked about him, one of the struggles that, that's getting brought up is Nick Holden's game has kind of righted itself a little bit, and Kevin Klein's game has kind of not. It's, it's getting to the mm-hmm. point where it's really noticeable, and, and you mentioned it, Mika, that when you notice a defenseman, something's wrong more often than not. I've noticed Klein a lot. And if you're going to have Glenn Denning be the guy who comes in to give everybody a rest, I don't know why you're not rotating Girardi, Stahl, Holden, and Klein with Glenn Denning. Just make it a merry-go-round and get everybody in and out of the lineup and keep everybody fresh. There's no point in sitting him on the bench. But Klein, is it just me, Mika, or has Klein really struggled to this point? Um, uh, you know, I don't know if we're looking for things to <laughs> to uh, complain about at this point. I mean, he's he hasn't especially looked uh, terrible. I think it's just um, you, <laughs> you can't. You can't shelter everyone on the D. You you know, like someone's got to play hard minutes, and it's going to be McDonough on the left side, and then on the right side, you know, there's there's they're still kind of like well, Girardi here and there, but it, for the most part, um, Girardi getting the right side tough minutes has really been backed off. I mean, it started last season, but you know, it's not like he's back playing 20 minutes a game this year. So I think Klein is kind of getting. Uh, swept up into that a little more than we've seen. So, you know, I, I don't have numbers in front of me, but I'm sure it's, you know, he's, he's facing tougher quality of competition. So maybe he's, you know, producing a little less. Um, and, of course, like I said last week, you know, he's not playing with Yandel anymore. Yandel anymore. He's playing with Shea or he's playing with Stahl. Um, or maybe maybe McDonough or Girardi for, like, a, a an important defensive draw or something. But, I, I'm not well. I'm I'm not pulling the alarm on, on Klein yet. Um, I, I really want to sit back because we're what 14 games in. Like it's like I I, I want to wait till Thanksgiving and then I'll start really being like okay, you know, who's really over you know a couple dozen games? Who's really someone we got we got to talk about? You know. I don't disagree with that at all, and it's probably the outlook that Jeff Gordon's taking. Before I continue, I need to amend myself. I said that Brady Shea played at Michigan. He did not play at Michigan. He played at Minnesota. Thank you, Michael Silvers, for pointing out that I am a moron. Um, I don't think it's necessarily something the Rangers need to be yelling and screaming about. But when you have a guy like Clendenning, who quite literally leads the NHL in Corsi, it's very difficult for me to look up and down the lineup and not see players that he could be replacing to get in. And we've become a little jaded as Rangers fans these past couple of years with what I've called the subjective wheel of justice and with Vigneault having bits of different sets of rules for different players. The game isn't quick enough for McElrath, so he got traded. But then that means the game isn't really all that quick for Girardi and Stahl either, and Clendenning fits the system, and he's sitting in, in the press box. And I think Stahl has taken unbelievable steps forward this year, and it's been a huge part 
of the Rangers' defense not totally imploding the way that we thought it was going to be. And like I said, let's give Holden credit too because he has improved his game to this point as well. So the Rangers have not been as much of a tire fire on defense as we thought they were going to be. But I've noticed Klein a lot for the wrong reasons. And maybe that's because I'm looking for reasons to get Klein Denning in the lineup. Or maybe it's what's actually happening. But I'm very jaded to the, well, the Rangers are winning, so don't worry about it. Because that's all we heard last year. And then you saw what happened. I got into a Twitter argument with Dan Rosen from NHL.com over the same thing. It was very stupid. It really was. And I did not start it. I, I will just say that. So, like... Maybe we are overthinking things in that respect, but you kind of have to because you just don't know what's coming next. This offense has really forced Vigneault's hand. Is he actually seeing the light with them, or is he just doing it because he doesn't have a choice? Brandon Peary really wasn't supposed to make the team, let's be completely honest, and yet he's forced his way into the lineup. It makes sense that they're in there. It's a good thing that they're in there because it does mean that at the end of the day, the Rangers are making the right decisions but the defense continues to be a head-scratching endeavor for this team. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. But with McDonough playing as well as he is, with Brady Shea playing as well as he is, with Mark Stahl playing as well as he is, if you get Clendenning in the lineup, you have a legitimate top four. And then if you want to put Holden and Girardi on a bottom pairing, I actually don't advocate that at all, but if, if you want to make your lineup with those players, you can do some much better things than the Rangers are looking at right now. And this team will struggle down the stretch somewhere. Great teams go into slumps. This Rangers team has not been forced to show their true colors yet outside of their offense bailing out their defense. I have yet to see the Rangers defense do anything of note to win a hockey game in terms of a one nothing or a 2 nothing game where the defense clamps down and they take care of business. It's not their fault. When the offense is scoring five goals a game, you, you just can't play that way. But we haven't seen those games yet. And Vancouver looked like it might be a game like that, and it ended up not being one. Edmonton looked like it might be a game like that, and the Rangers won. But there are going to be those games where the Rangers are not looking at this offensive explosion, and you've got to rely on the defense. And I'm not sure I'm totally comfortable with the defense the Rangers have put out there right now. But I will say the Rangers are much better than we thought they were going to be. So what do I know? Uh, I know you two didn't see the game specifically, but uh, I just want to make one other point. So Antiranta gets hit high. He isn't hurt. He's okay. He stays in the game. And then the NHL concussion protocol people who are in New York who watch all the games say, all right, Ranta got hit in the head. It was the primary point of contact. He needs to go into the quiet room. So he goes into the quiet room. So Lundqvist comes out because Ranta was pulled, but Lundqvist does not get an opportunity to warm up. That is insane to me. If the whole point is player safety, how are you telling a guy, listen, you have to come off the ice right now because you may have a concussion. Oh, and your backup is going to have zero time to warm up. And Lundqvist did not look ready, and he didn't look warm, and he gave up two quick goals, and he ended up taking him a loss last night. It's ridiculous. If you're going to pull a goaltender from the league, this is not a Rangers decision. If you're going to, as the league, say he needs to go into the quiet room, you have to give the actual goaltender who backs him up time to warm up. If you don't, you are just asking for more injuries. And it drives me crazy. Look, that's not the reason why the Rangers lost. The Rangers did not deserve to win that game. But it just makes no sense. Amend the rule. Do something. If you're listening to this and you work for the NHL, do something. Do the right thing. 
Uh, we are going to lose you guys. Thank you for listening. We're going to dig into the Tony time just a little bit, as we always do, because it forces you to uh, download us on the archive and uh, pad our stats, because that is what we do. We cheat the system, and we will continue to cheat the system. Um, I guess final thoughts on what we've seen so far. Uh, is there anything that worries you right now? Something feasible that you've seen, something that is a little concerning? For me, it's sort of the arbitrary way that Mignot is sort of handed out this discipline, like VC didn't, and Cryer didn't play in the third period at all against Vancouver. VC was one of the statistical leaders in terms of Corsi and shots against and whatever, but we sort of have seen the Rangers shorten the bench a little bit in crunch time minutes, and they've taken away, when you're taking away VC and Kreider, you're taking away two of the Rangers' scoring threats, and I can't make any sense of it, so Mika, I'm going to give you an opportunity to try to make some sense of it. Um, well, just, uh, I guess, not to backtrack totally, but the, the, the team last year was, was very much in the similar situation as it was this year. I mean, it was doing it for different reasons. I guess they were, you know, we, we called them the wrong reasons, and it was totally unsustainable. And you want to look at this team, and you want to say, okay, what's different? What's the same? Um, is this a false high like last year? Um, just a different type of false high. Um, because, you know, last year it was goaltending, and this year it's offense. Um, the one thing that thing, thing, thing that really sticks out to me as I looked at it, this is through, this is as of yesterday afternoon, so it's not updated, but I'm not perfect. Um, they, perfect last, year, last year at this time, um, when they were, you know, red hot uh, after, after 13 games, their goals, for, their goals for per hour when tied was 20... 28th in the league. It was second from, or it was third from last. This year, it's fifth. All right. That's a huge difference. I mean, they, they, they're identical stats, shooting percentage, they were top, you know, uh, goals per hour, they're, they're, you know, pretty much the same league ranking, give or take, um, but it's completely different as far as how, how, how are they scoring when it's tied? You know, last year, or this time last year, uh, Lundqvist just stopped everything, so the game could be tied for hours and hours and hours, and then the Rangers would score three goals on ten shots, and they'd win. Uh, this year, I mean, you look at some of these blowout games, but the Rangers have, per capita are still killing it when, it, when the score is tied overall. Um, so that's a huge – that doesn't that does the opposite worry me. That pleases me. That's not a worry. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, is penalty – Penalty differential, um, five on five. Uh, last year, this time they were 29th. They were second worst team. Right now, they're seventh. Um, the spe- just the speed and uh, the offensive zone pressure are just garnering so many penalties. Um, what whereas last year it was the exact opposite. They were taking penalties. So uh, those two things really stick out to me. As you know, okay, possession numbers could be better. Save percentage, you know, not gr- not great at all, but. Um, this team's going to cool off in certain ways and probably heat up when it comes to goaltending in other ways. So I'm 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 okay with some cool off games, um, but I, I want to see how they do when the score is tied five on five and how many penalties they take five on five because those are crucial things to not be last in. The sustainability of last year, I think we all knew was never going to exist and. When your shooting percentage in, in games that you're winning is like 40%, something is very wrong. 
the Rangers ignored it. They put their head in the sand. They thought that Henrik Lundqvist was going to be the, the guy to lead them to the promised land. They thought that the defense was better than everybody else was saying it was. And Mika does bring up some good points in that some of the bigger underlying figures are in the Rangers' favor when it comes to the way that they're playing hockey right now. And one of the best things about analytics is it really lets you drill down and figure that out. Hey, listen, last year the Rangers were 28th in the league in goals when they're tied. This year they're fifth, so that's an enormous difference, and that takes care of X, Y, and Z and whatever it may be. The concerns that you have are concerns that we've all made very clear, which is some of the lineup decisions have been questionable. The way that the Rangers are winning games right now is not 100% sustainable and that the offense is not going to score five goals every game, but that you're starting to see the Rangers offense is maybe that good, capable of keeping that pace up. The Rangers are never out of a game anymore, and it's not because they're getting lucky, and it's their PDO I don't think is, is even good right now, to be completely honest with you. So this is not some bizarre luck-filled streak. This is the New York Rangers doing things the right way. And if you have a concern, it's about what's going to happen when the goals dry up and the Rangers aren't scoring five goals a game. But to this point, we haven't seen that happen. And some of the underlying statistics are showing that the Rangers might not score five goals a game, but they might score three and a half or four and and keep themselves in, in really good company. And it might sound like it doesn't make that big of a deal, but it does make a big deal. Yeah, well, the special teams, no, 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 that's, people don't realize how hard it is when you're, none of you are in the same room, because you (laughs) you can't, like, look at the other person to be like, hey, it's your turn to talk now, or you don't want to step on each other's toes. I fell asleep 10 minutes ago. Yeah, see, there you go. We do a pretty remarkable job of of not having that happen, but the the special (laughs) teams, another thing, the Rangers offense, the power play's been good, the penalty kill's been okay, there are opportunities there, but we haven't seen enough of it to say, okay, this is who the Rangers are. We, we still need to see if they're going to be able to keep this up and if other teams aren't going to be able to figure out how to shut the Rangers down. Because right now, it just seems like you clog up the neutral zone. Beth, your thoughts on all of this? Um, I guess I, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm overall optimistic. If I did start to worry about anything this week, putting the defense aside for a while, um, it was Kreider and VC sitting um, and sort of wondering what the motivation was, what the message to them was. Uh, Vigneault, as I recall, was, was kind of cryptic about VC sitting. Um, am I right about that? Did you guys yeah, see the he, interview? He pretty much he said that he was looking for something, like he was looking for offense by sitting VC and Kreider and Adam Herman. <laughs> was like, that's like saying you're looking for your phone, but you're just not going to search the kitchen or the living room. And <laughs> I think it's a great analogy because how do you sit there and say, hey, these are two guys who are product, who are producing most of our goals, and I'm looking for offense, we're just going to sit them. Did so, he say I was looking for a body? Isn't that what he said? Like, I'm looking yeah, for bodies a body. are uh, – and Beth, not to cut <laughs> you off, yeah. what is is the frustrating, this is the frustrating thing. You never know. You, he's well, so good at coach speak, you just don't know. That's what I am. I'm just wondering how that's going to play out, you know, as things start to normalize. Who's going to sit? Who? I mean, and not only whatever he <laughs> looking for a body and a cell phone in the wrong room. Uh, 
what was the turn for I know I know Kreider came back from his injury not quite being the player he was before it. What was sort of the, the turn to the dark side for VC? Do you remember that that started getting know. him on the shit list? Um, I, he, was benched in the, it, he was benched in the third against Boston, right? Or one of those games back? It might it have been a, Boston. I think it was a giveaway you, pass in the neutral zone. Yeah, I think that is what it was. Yeah. But now but again, it's all of a sudden like he's, you know, now he's on thin ice, quote-unquote, and at the drop of a hat, he's going to he's going to sit. And we don't know him, I think, well enough as a player yet to know what kind of effect that's going to have. We know it didn't have a great effect on Hayes. Um, Kreider, who knows what's going on in his head at this point, he was like the lauded super monster of the entire league you know, how many articles, this is his year, this is his game, this is the player we've all been waiting for. Um, let's hope that comes back again with the, the KZB line. I still insist on calling it that. So, I mean, I, if I have a concern now that it's sort of the, the bench games have started, is is how are those going to play out? What kind of effect are they going to have? Usnevich, um, if he dries up a little bit, you know, is – is he going to? I mean, and he's been he's been so great away from the puck that again, this is yeah, a stretch. He's, but he's far more polished than VC is away from the puck. You know, uh, Vigneault's, Vigneault's kind of had a history of kind of taking it a little hard on the young kids via the press. Like he, you know, like when he was talking about Delzado, and he was like, "Oh, well, I was told he was a good defenseman when I got here, but you know." And then with well, Miller, and then he, and then he, what do you mean? Oh no! Okay. That's what he, that's what he, was he actually yeah, said that wasn't true. I thought you were saying that wasn't true. He didn't say that. No, no, Definitely. no, no, no. He, he yeah. never call you out like that. Not oh. on the show. Maybe but, after the show, but not on the show. <laughs> he did the same thing with Mil- with Miller, his rookie year or his first year, and with Pouliot. Remember Pouliot's first only yeah, year with Kreider too. Hayes, Lindbergh, like Duclair. Like, pick your <laughs> pick any of them. He'll he'll just very bluntly kind of like he he won't do it for veterans, but he'll kind of bluntly like you know. Passive aggressively, kind of call out a kid or something. Yeah. Um, him. But I think I think it's kind of him like his like I used to think like oh what a dick, but I think it's kind of like a methodology <laughs> of kind of like you know applying a little pressure to the kid you know this you know challenging him but in a passive way where he does it through reporters. It just seems to be like a pattern with like guys who are like new to the team or they're young. I don't know. It's just I it's it, I think it's the way he works and if it gets results, I... okay you know. Yeah, I agree. I just think it gets, and I mean, obviously, it's he's not a he's not a nursemaid. He's not their shrink. I just think it works better with some players than others. Yeah, I agree. Like for instance, Shea seems to be thriving. Um, I mean, that's really my the thing that most impresses me about his game is after last year, just seeing younger players almost look like they were afraid to take risks because that was going to be the screw up that was either going to send them down or bench them. Um, and, you know, again, it's it's his style. That's what he does. Hopefully the players know to not take it personally. But, you know, it's hard because it, from what we've seen, it does kind of start to seem personal. <laughs> A couple, you know, we know that he, there's people he likes and people he maybe likes not so much or just doesn't get the point of or is like, well, I don't have any leaves for you, you know. So it's 
it is his definitely his style. Um, I just think it's I want to see how all of these forwards react to however that style plays itself out with 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 whatever happens. So anyway, that that's that's probably my concern right now. But really, let's face it, it's not that bad of a one to have. No, but it is a total heel turn from where Vigneault, Vigneault was. Listen, Tortorella was the coach that came in. You suck, you suck, you're okay, you suck to the media. And Vigneault was never that type of coach. And then last year, he kind of became that type of coach. And this is what I was talking about. There's a different set of rules for different players. Mika, you brought up a really good point. It would be like, all right, Kevin Hayes is sitting because he's not playing that well. He's turning the puck over. And then Vigneault would be like, well, we know some people on the defense have to be better. You'd think it would be the other way around. Like, listen, Girardi, you're a veteran. You need to know better. And then there's some players up front yeah. that need to do better. And that's just not the way that, it, that it's been. And if it's a motivational tactic or something along those lines, I get it. But run the gambit. You can pick a slew of players that Vigneault has maybe not been all that fond of or has tr- kind of tried to give a kick in the butt to, to get them to move forward and – he was never supposed to be the disciplinary, and, and now he kind of is becoming that person. And well, it's real passive, though. It is very, very passive. It's nothing he, he, like, like he does it through the press. Like it's, it's like the most passive-aggressive yeah. way to challenge a guy. I almost Which don't. I, I almost I prefer almost screaming and throwing trash cans, frankly. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not Twitter in the locker room, so I don't get to say that. But yeah, the the let me you know let me listen to the interview to see what my coach thinks of me. Or what he's saying, you know, that that seems a little, I don't know. Smashing your stick over the bench and throwing crap around is, it's much more transparent. You know what it is, it's anger, whatever. To go to the media and be like, well, Kevin Hayes isn't playing that well, that could have a lasting effect. I don't know. And we are splitting hairs here, let's be honest. The Rangers are playing four. It's not like this is a major problem. But you, with the history that Vigneault has had with the youth on this team, it is concerning to see a guy like Vici not play at all in the third period because you just don't know. I mean, this is a guy who willingly sat Kevin Hayes in a playoff game, a must-win playoff game for Tanner Glass. This is a guy who willingly played a struggling and one-legged Dan Girardi for 50 games last year. We're not talking about someone who at least doesn't have some type of blood on his hands for making poor roster decisions like this. So... I get it. I really do. I understand that we are splitting hairs, but these are the types of things that when you don't talk about them, they might crop up. I don't know why Kreider was benched. I, I don't know why VC was benched. Saying I need to look for a body isn't even passive-aggressive. It's just confusing. <laughs> and he's, he's great at coach speak. He really is. He really is. It's like, it's like you're playing Blue's Clues. He <laughs> says one thing, you run down. He says another thing, you run back. And by the time yeah. you put everything together, he's on something else. I love what he said about Pouliot, where he's like, he said, it's like a French expression, like, to the moon. It's like sometimes he's he's okay, and sometimes his mind is just, you know, to the moon, whatever the French expression is. It's just, it's the, it's just the most passive way to, uh, you know, so like, criticize, throw, throw a little shade. It's, it's so funny. I'm, I'm sure whatever the saying was was just beautiful in French. Like, to la luna or something? Yeah, exactly. If only we could say it in French, it would be just... Yeah. They would make the podcast just a million times better. They would get speak French. I don't know. Uh, I can say, I don't know if I can say anything in French. 
Bonjour, Monsieur. Escargot. Yeah, Escargot. Good. A- Alex Chiasson. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Fromage is cheese. And this is Blue Panther, sponsored by Rosetta Stone, France version. You could speak French tomorrow. <laughs> We're going to do the whole podcast in French next week, actually. Yeah, study up and yes. we'll do it. Or what we think is going to be French. It'll probably be like... <laughs> it'll probably See how be many of you know the Yeah. They might. They might not. If they understand, then they know, and then we're screwed. That's the problem. Uh, well, this was fun. Do we have anything else? Anyone, anything else anyone wants to throw out there? Uh, it's early, so let's just let's see how it goes. Rodden high, Beth. Uh, if that KZB line is being reunited, let's let's see what they can do. I'd I'd like to see them. Go back to their glory days of three weeks ago or whatever it was. Four weeks ago, a month ago, six weeks ago. How long ago was it? Everything's blending together. I need to go to sleep. <laughs> this is what it's come to, sadly. We don't even remember. We didn't know when the Rangers were playing before the game started. Yeah, we I thought it was Sunday. Mika told me it was Saturday. I would have missed the game. I would have had no idea. None of you would have cared. My it's review like, would have told you by then. Who planned, like, four whole days ahead? No one does that. We did. It was ridiculous. You have no idea what it takes to run this website. You have no idea. <laughs> and the podcast? God, there's levers and pulleys everywhere. There's people running around in circles. There's tons of fires. You don't... It's, you'll see. Just, maybe. And we're all out to undermine you, too. I just so imagine the Dr. Seuss strong. Just all these levers <laughs> and pulleys. Mike did a... Uh, Mike did like a what the behind the curtain or something for I have to find it for Blue Shirt Panther and it was hysterical. It was really good. Um, all right, well I guess if, if that's that, then uh, smile, take deep breaths. The sun came out this morning, believe it or not. Um, the Rangers are ten and four. I don't think any of us expected that. So we've been able to kind of nitpick and pull apart little threads of what we perceive to be issues this year and. Pretty much any of us would have signed up for that coming into the year. So, Bukshinevich is playing well. He's starting to get hot. VC's playing well. He's starting to get, he's continuing. The, the Rangers, Shea, they, there's a lot of youth on this team. And if this is going to be a rebuilding year, then so be it. Because there's so much here to build around. There really is. And next year is going to bring some forced change. But let's not get there yet. Let's enjoy the rest of the year. And see where things go. Thank you for the support of the podcast. It's been uh, fantastic. Mm, please support us at Blue Shirt Panther. Support Beth at twitter.com slash Beth Macklin. Uh, support Mika at twitter.com slash hockey stat minor. I am at Blue Shirt Panther. If you enjoy this podcast and are listening to it, and I'm going into your ear right now, then go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, however it is that you listen to us. Give us five stars. Give us a nice review. It helps other people find us. And it means a lot. Uh, subscribe and, yeah, do all those fun things. That'll be wonderful. Uh, Mika, thank you again for joining us. This was a, a very good time. You, uh, you bring a level to the podcast that Puchnevich brings to the Rangers, and that is as high of a compliment <laughs> as I can give somebody. Um, I don't know about that, but thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Always good to talk support, to you. Support all of us. Your podcast is – did you do the one with Josh yet? Uh, we're working on it. I, like you said, running a podcast is kind of hard. 
Yeah, it is. It's not easy. People, you just think you just jump in and do more work than you think. It's way more work than you think. I want to know what ranger you think I am. You are. Well, we're out of time, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all should probably turn us off right now. (laughs) You are Rick Nash. Being nice. (laughs) No, you're Rick Nash. Uh, uh, I, who who would I be? I don't know who I would be. I'll have to pick someone for myself. You'd be uh, like you'd be like the John Muckler. Good. This is good. This is a great way to end the podcast. What ranger am I today? Yeah, we could do we could do like a, a poll. We could let people ask. See what's going on. That's fine. Um, God, the Tony Time is so great. This is really—I think it might be the best part of this podcast. We should start a podcast called the Tony Time that's just about absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> but instead, we will we will hook it to the end of this show. We're giddy now. Beth is giddy. That means that we've gone too far. We've ventured into the zone of uh, no return. Just like when you sleep for more than eight hours and your head is like, "All right, you guys want to see some shit? Let's see some shit." That's pretty much what this is. Uh, I heard Louis C.K. say that once, and I thought it was really funny. So there you go. Thank you. Learn your French because the next show is in French. And (laughs) that's going to be interesting for every single one of us. Thank you. Remember that we are on Wednesdays from now on until the Rangers play on Wednesday. We'll move it to Thursday, but I don't think that happens until 2017. And then the Rangers are on NBC, which is when they would play on Wednesday uh, a lot. So we'll figure that out. Thank you once again, Tamika, Beth, everybody. Hopefully see you next week with a full lineup of me, Beth, and Mike. And maybe Mika comes on that show too. Who knows? We'll uh, keep you in suspense. Depends on how he does on his French exam tomorrow. Oh, man. (laughs) Thank you and good night. Good night.